as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the 6-4 Alright everyone, welcome to another episode of the Board as Hell podcast. I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot. And I am Andy Wilson, a.k.a. Citizen Bot, also with Big Shiny Robot. And we are joined again by the ever-gorgeous and wonderful Brooke Heim. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm great. How are you guys? Doing great. Uh, so for those of who didn't hear the last time, uh, remind us of where they can find your stuff and kind of what you do. So I am Brooke. I'm one of the Two Feminist Moms, and you can find us at twofeministmoms.com, uh, Two Feminist Moms on Facebook, and Two Feminist Moms on Twitter. So that's us. All right, very nice. Well, this week we've got two new movies to talk about. The first is the Judd Apatow uh, raunchy comedy Trainwrecks starring Amy Schumer, and the second one we'll go after that will be Ant-Man, but let's start with Trainwreck first, so Judd Apatow is kind of known for doing the kind of raunchy, buddy comedies, rom-coms, all that kind of fun stuff, uh, so this time we set out with Amy Schumer, who plays a character named Amy, uh, she's a writer for a over-the-top, misogynistic men's magazine called Snuff, it's basically if Maxim was even geared more towards the teenage boys and had, you know, articles called, you're not gay, she's just boring, and you call those tits? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, it's a really cool, uh, you know, it's really funny because the whole point here is they're being over the top and showing how stupid those things are. Um, her boss is played by Tilda Swinton, who I didn't even recognize in the role until a day later when someone said that was her, and it blew me away. So if She's always a very androgynous type character. Um, this one, she kind of gets to be the sexy British woman who says horrible things. So if, if you like her, you'll love her in this part. But Amy is set to go write a story about a sports doctor named Aaron Connors, played by Bill Hader. He works on he has this new kind of surgery that he uses to revitalize you know sports figures when like their joints go out and this and that. And so she goes to interview him for the story. She hates sports. She's kind of open about that. Well, he decides to ask her out for dinner, and one thing leads to another, and they end up sleeping together, which for Amy is nothing new, because her dad was a, uh, would sleep around a lot. She kind of got that from him. Her big thing, though, is kind of a one-and-done thing, <clears throat> or, you know, she'll see you once, never talk again, won't sleep over. Well, she kind of starts to fall for him, he starts to fall for her, and at that point, the movie kind of falls into typical rom-com tropes that become very predictable, and we know how it's all going to turn out. Uh, that being said, though, it is really funny. Uh, there's a lot here that's hilarious, over the top, definitely dirty. Uh, we'll just say there's a condom joke that made me blush. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to go into details because, again, we don't know who's listening. Uh, but, it, yeah, it's out there. It is a bit too long. Judd Apatow has a sense to kind of make his movies 15 to 30 minutes too long. Please, 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 for the love of God, hire an editor. Uh, because comedy works well when you have, you know, joke after joke after joke, when you pad it with a scene to make you go, aww, it just it pulls you out of the situation and you know makes you want to look at your watch more. The other problem, speaking of editing, and we should mention that Amy Schumer also co-wrote, or actually wrote the script for this, but you can tell that it has a lot of Apatow-style riffing within it. The Apatow movies are known for kind of setting up a situation and just letting the actors roll with it. They're like, you know how I know you're gay? Going on for like five, ten minutes. Wh- which, 
in some places is funny, but in in places like this, it seemed very obvious that it's like, oh, we're going to have a scene where we have this specific plot piece that we need to do where Amy's going to sit down with her dad, played by Colin Quinn, and he's going to say a bunch of racist, horrible things. And we're just going to continue to let him riff on that for minute after minute, and it it goes on a little bit too long. It, they need to figure out how to streamline that and like pick the two or three funniest things and just go with that. Uh, but what was really surprising to me, a huge revelation actually, was LeBron James. Yes, <laughs> uh, one of so one of uh, Bill Hader's main clients is LeBron. And they're actually really good friends, and he's kind of like his his best bud. Uh, LeBron like sits Amy down and is like, "What are your intentions for my friend? Are you gonna are you gonna hurt him?" <laughs> yeah. So you know, there's there's a lot funny there, and uh, LeBron's really funny. There's a lot of really self aware comedy where he's he's talking about like how he doesn't see any difference between Cleveland and Miami, and really kind of inside jokes that if you don't know who LeBron James is might go over your head but I thought those were pretty fun and I was I was really surprised that who knew LeBron James could be one of the best pieces of a movie starring Amy Schumer and Bill Hayden right and and the other thing too uh, also John Cena because you know oh he's her he's her boyfriend at the beginning of the movie who leaves her when he goes to her phone and finds out that she's been sleeping with every Tom, Dick, and Harry, literally, in town. And, you know, it's I, I never thought I would ever say John Cena and LeBron James stole every scene they're in. Because uh, John Cena is kind of the whole, like, sensitive, tough guy who may or may not be gay, depending on what he's saying to people. Cause he, he can't talk crap, so when he does, or has to talk dirty in bed, he just comes out horrible or very unsexy. Or what's kind of fun with this movie, too, is that Amy Schumer writes it almost like reversing gender roles because we've seen countless movies rom-coms where you know the guy's the one who's out there sleeping around and then meets the nice girl and then her friends are the ones who Mm-mm, oh hell no kind of thing and that's like you said what LeBron got to do with with Amy Schumer's character so I did like the fact that it was taking your normal gender stereotypes and flipping them but again when it comes down to it it's it's, it's the editing and I, I think unfortunately I, I I, I kind of felt bad saying this because I really had a good time. I, I laughed my ass off. It was funny. Uh, but I don't see myself two months from now being like, oh, you've got to go see Trainwreck. You know, I don't see myself sitting down to watch it multiple times. Uh, like 40-Year-Old Virgin, for instance, has you know, we, we, Steve Carell, even like just the, the Kelly Clarkson bit. As stupid as that was, it lives on in infamy because that was, a, that was the moment that was in that movie that was that hilarious. Trainwreck didn't really have that. It was consistently funny, so if you want something that's going to be make you laugh, good, go for it. Uh, as I said, it's 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 a dirty, dirty R movie, uh, but it's not something that I'm going to go back and want to revisit again uh, three months from now when it comes out on Blu-ray. You know, once once is enough for me. Yeah, Apatow's movies tend to have kind of a bland center storyline and a main character. I'm thinking of Knocked Up and Forty Year Old Virgin uh, that are there to kind of move the story along but then the best comedy is coming from the side characters and I'm thinking in all of these cases specifically about Paul Rudd and how amazingly brilliant he is in in these 
Yes. One of the problems with Trainwreck is the the side characters never really get developed. And other than J- LeBron James and It's John cameos, Cena, right. They're, the cameos yeah. are great, but they never let them be those full-on you know, best friend characters that should have should been more explored and more fully realized. Yeah, so the only character who ever really gets fleshed out in this entire movie is Amy, which I understand it. She wrote it. She's starring in it. It's her movie. It's her launching. Yeah. And, and props to her. Like, like, let's just say that's awesome, and we should have more leading ladies and movies led by women like Amy Schumer, but I would also like to see more development of the side characters. And, mm-hmm. and like, Mike Birbiglia was completely underutilized in this. That's a really, really, really funny guy, and he got nothing to do in this movie. Yeah, and in, there's a, a movie coming out next month that uh, was picked up from Sunday. It's called Sleeping with Other People. Uh, it's with Allison Brie and Jason Sudeikis, which I believe you actually saw a trailer for uh, in front of this one. Uh, that movie shows how you can do a successful rom-com with crazy side characters and make it dirty and have fun with it and make it be something like you want to go see it again. Like the moment I walked out of that movie, I couldn't wait to go back and see it again and it's been eight months now and I'm still waiting. Uh, so that's an example of a movie that knows what it's doing and does it smart. This one, it's a lot of fun. It's dirty. You'll whack your ass off, but at the end of the day, it's forgettable. Uh, seven out of ten, again, it's not bad. It's just not something I'm really excited to go see again. I, I would, I was going the same place, six and a half out of ten. Cool. So, Brooke, uh, you know, you with Two Feminist Moms podcast, this movie is very much a feminist movie. It lets, it lets girls full on take the reins in relationships and, you know, kind of be, not be afraid to say what's on their mind. Uh, do you think this is a good thing or is this kind of more pandering to get a female audience in who maybe wouldn't go see it otherwise? I think it's good. I mean, I think anything that is being written by a woman expressing whatever it is, even if it's done mediocrity, like, I think that it's good. I think that every step forward is good. Um, I was at lunch with some friends today, and they were talking about the movie and said that they liked it. They said they laughed in it about the same as they did in Magic Mike. Um, One of them said that... (laughs) It, she kept waiting for there to be a plot, and had she known that there was no plot, she would have enjoyed it more. But if there had been a plot, she would have enjoyed it even more than that. So yeah, like, I, you, I think that's awesome. I think Amy Schumer is just great, and to see her putting her foot forward and, and getting started, like I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I think it's, I think it's all good. Yeah, and I can't personally. I can't wait to see it. Like. <laughs> Yeah, well, this is definitely this is definitely like an awesome girls' night movie, and much better than Magic Mike, in my opinion. I would I would recommend it for that. Is this going to be in my canon of like great go-to comedies that I'm going to pull off the shelf over and over again? No. Am I going to be quoting it as much as man? How many years are we after Forty Year Old Virgin and Knocked Up, and I'm still pulling quotes? from Paul Rudd out of there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, but okay. yeah, speaking of comedies that you will put on yourself and be pulling down to watch years to come and probably doing some quoting from it, uh, Marvel's Ant-Man, uh, the, the superhero movie. I don't think anyone ever thought they would 
ever want to go see or be interested in seeing, uh, I think will surprise a lot of people. Andy, why don't you tell us about it a bit? And and speaking of Paul Rudd, what a revelation here. That here's a guy who has been known for doing these funny bits and comedies. Uh, a lot of us, the first time we remember seeing Paul Rudd was way back in Clueless. And he's been kind of a part of our lives of comedy for the last 20 years, for better or for worse. I absolutely love the guy. I love pretty much everything he's ever been in. If you ever get a chance, check out a movie he is in by Neil LeBute uh, called The Shape of Things. And it's a it's a dramatic movie. It's not really a funny movie, but he's awesome in it and totally owns it. But Ant-Man. Ant-Man is uh, based on uh, one of Marvel Comics' lesser-known superheroes. Uh, those familiar with his story will know that there have been several people who have tap- taken up the moniker of the Ant-Man. The first was Hank Pym, a scientist who was an original member of the Avengers. And he discovered a particle, which he named after himself. Nice ego there, Hank Pym. Uh, and called Pym Particles, which allowed him to shrink or grow at will. And he then used that to develop a suit that he would use to make himself really tiny and use the laws of physics to beat people up and speak with ants and have them do his bidding. Sounds like kind of a lame superpower, and it is. it, it kind of is, uh, but when used to good effect, it it can be really interesting. Ant-Man was rebooted uh, in in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s, in a couple of different iterations, uh, one of which was the irredeemable Ant-Man written by Robert Kirkman, who does The Walking Dead. This is not that movie. Um, That's a completely different thing. But this is the story of another Ant-Man named Scott Lang, who Scott's background was he as a burglar and a criminal who it has to pull off a heist in order to, in the comics, it's to get money to get a surgery for his daughter. In this case, it's, uh, it's just he's coming out of prison and he's down on his luck and in order for him to get visitation with his daughter, he's trying to do anything he can. Uh, he's working at Baskin Robbins, and he gets fired because he's an ex-con. Paul Rudd, as Scott Lang, hears about a heist opportunity to break into some old billionaire's house, and he's got an amazing safe, and who knows what's in there, but it's got to be something awesome. Uh, what this is is actually a test run by Hank Pym, played here by Michael Douglas, uh, to lure someone like Scott Lang in to see if they could break into his vault and to have him become the Ant-Man. What has happened is uh, Pym's company has been taken over by his former mentor uh, who is trying to use the technology to create weapons uh, which he may or may not be trying to sell into the hands of Hydra or other of America's enemies. Uh, Those familiar with the Marvel movies know that Hydra are the big baddies in a lot of cases, uh, Nazis, essentially. And uh, so they've got to go in and steal the Ant-Man suit. And being aided in this is Hank Pym's daughter, 
uh, Hope Van Dyne, played by Evangeline Lilly from Lost and the Hobbit movies. Uh, it then quickly becomes a superhero training movie montage a la Rocky and then a heist movie where they've got to steal uh, the, the yellow jacket suit uh, from, from the company and uh, set things right in the world. Um, that's essentially the movie right there and in all of that there's lots of fight scenes, lots of action scenes, a lot of really funny riffing and just I I can't say enough good things about this movie. So, Brooke, you were able to see this. Tell us what what you thought about it. I thought it was hilarious. Like I took my two kids to go see it. Well, my kid and old stepson, whatever. Um, we took them to go see the movie, and they loved it. They were engaged the whole time. It. Um, in a lot of ways, I feel like Michael Pena stole the show. Like I think yes. <laughs> yes. the comedy bit that he added to it, like, guy is brilliant. It was so funny. And it took me a while to figure out who Evangeline Lilly, like what I had seen her in before, because I just felt like she did such a good job in that role. I felt like she really filled it well. And it's my favorite of all the Marvel movies that I've seen. And I that may not be a very wow. popular thing for people to say but I just thought it was so funny and not that the other ones are bad like they're all really really good but this one it just kept my brain like happy entertained the whole time like the action was good the fight scenes are good and maybe because I had such low expectations of it like I really didn't expect to like it because it was Ant-Man like really <laughs> Ant-Man like what, what are you going to possibly do with this to make me like it and not feel like it's just a hoax for money? Like, I just was like, oh, here's a here's a marketing ploy for Marvel. Let's see what we can do with Ant-Man. But it was freaking brilliant. Yeah, I, th- I think that's what a lot of people were almost expecting. And for those who weren't aware, there, this movie has been in production or pre-production for over a decade. Uh, Edgar Wright, who did Shaun of the Dead, um, The World's End, and Hot Fuzz, had originally wanted this movie forever. He tried to acquire the rights, he did uh, test and test footage, that actually was the reason why this movie even got made in the first place, and so he wrote the original script and was going crazy with it, and then last year it was kind of revealed that he left the project because he wanted to make this his own kind of Edgar Wright type movie, and Marvel being Marvel was like, no, we, this needs to fit into our universe, uh, and there are definitely scenes in here like when he goes and fights... Uh, Spoiler alert! We'll just say that happens. Uh, I don't think that was ever actually in Edgar Wright's original script. That was something that they threw in later on. Uh, so, unfortunately, they split ways. So, that being said, this is still very much an Edgar Wright movie in the sense that there are certain scenes and uh, the dialogue that you can tell it's left over from the bones of his original script. Uh, Paul Rudd actually helped rewrite the script along with some other people. <coughs> and they did an excellent job. But there's still a lot of whimsy and a lot of fun stuff in there that you are Edgar Wright's kind of calling cards, I guess you could say. But yeah, I, I never thought they'd pull this off. I mean, not only that they make a good movie, they made a great movie. Uh, I just actually got done seeing it again for the second time, and I had more fun the second time around because I was finally able to catch little things and find the stuff that I didn't see before. Uh, it's well acted. Paul Rudd carries this character very well. Like we said, he's always done like rom-coms and never really action-type movies, and he easily takes care of it. So I'm excited to see what he does 
next to the Marvel Universe. We'll see him in, in Civil War. Evangeline uh, Lilly is great. She is this kind of dual role of the character as the hater father and then the one who's kind of the spy in the whole organization. Uh, and like you mentioned, Michael Pena is kind of the sidekick character who uh, Paul Lang was in prison with. See, every moment he's on scene, he steals the show. He's hilarious. Um, the little like when he's when he's telling the stories about how he heard these rumors, and the other actors are voicing over him. Like it's he's freaking hilarious. So uh, I absolutely loved it. It's a great movie. If you if you're ever all worried whether or not this is going to be any fun, it's the funniest Marvel movie. Uh, it's 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 a lot of fun. You'll, you'll love it. Yeah, it's absolutely hands down the funniest of the Marvel movies. And that that's saying a lot. Like, Guardians of the Galaxy is really funny. The Avengers is really funny. There are a lot of good, funny moments in both of those movies. But, yeah, between, between Edgar Wright and his first script, and then Paul Rudd and Adam McKay, who Adam McKay wrote Talladega Nights and Anchorman, uh, which also had Paul Rudd in it, uh, and Step Brothers, and has worked on a lot of other stuff with Will Ferrell. Uh, you can really tell that they really doubled down on the funny in this. Um, there's there's a scene I I won't even describe it, but there's a scene with uh, Evangeline Lilly and Michael Douglas where they're caught in a somewhat uh, compromising situation uh, Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly and the, <laughs> the interactions between the three of them afterward it, it's it's just great I, it, this is a hilarious hilarious movie and everything in here works so well what I was so amazed by was the the cinematography and the really kinetic way they make the action sequences so cool and so interesting and Peyton Reed really brings this great visual flourish to it where you can tell that these things were already very far along and a lot of these scenes look a lot like that test footage that Edgar Wright had put together uh, of how Ant-Man's going to move and how Ant-Man's going to take down security guards and like jump off of guns and pass bullets and, and so on and so forth. But it's just so visually interesting. And there's there's a lot of visual effects in this and you you get completely lost in it. It's really immersive and you forget that ninety nine percent of what you're seeing on the screen is digital ants and digital ant man growing and shrinking and it's just so cool and it's so fun and this is also easily the most kid friendly of any Marvel movie I've ever seen I just this isn't my favorite of the Marvel movies but it is in the top two so I want to refer to that scene you were just talking about because we were talking about this movie with some friends a couple nights ago and one of them was like they only put that scene in there to satisfy women blah blah it was unneeded blah blah and I just completely disagree like I don't want to give anything away with it but I I feel like we'll, we'll just say there's a lot of kids. Yeah. there's a lot of build up I think that that is going to set up for later I, I don't I just want to say that as a feminist and as a woman I don't think that there was anything unnecessary in that scene I'm glad that they put it in there and I think that it was hilarious so 
this movie gave me a whole new respect for Thomas the Train. <laughs> <laughs> Best use of Thomas the Tank Engine ever. Yes. It, it was so good. And yeah, that that scene is is a lot of fun and I don't I don't think that that scene was unnecessary. I mean, yeah, they're they're kind of trying to build a little bit of a romance subplot, a little bit maybe, but the whole point. I just of thought this it was, was funny. It was funny, and the I mean, the sexual tension inherent in uh, how Hope was supposed to be training Scott, and like he doesn't know how to throw a punch, and she's teaching him how to do that. Like that's so cool, and. Like, Michael Douglas and Evangeline Lilly have almost as much screen time in this movie as Paul Rudd does. And that's really cool. And they form this great triad. And the way that I keep thinking about it is they're, they're a little family. I mean, they're a, they're yeah. a literal family, uh, Hope and, uh, and Hank. Uh, but Scott is like the adopted son that they're bringing in. And there's definitely that paternal nature between uh, between Hank and Scott and um, so I guess that means he's making out with his sister but <laughs> I don't know uh, <laughs> it's just like Star Wars <laughs> or, or maybe Joe Dirt uh, yeah. oh, no. hey, no, so one of the things that I really appreciated one of the things I appreciated about this movie is I feel like the comedy in it and the scripting and like the dialogue between Paul Rudd and the dad, the stepdad, whatever. Oh, his Bobby Cannavale. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Yeah. Like, just all of the interactions between them, they never leave a realm that is completely relatable. And I just, the humor isn't too forced. It isn't so far fetched that you can't agree, like, understand. Like, it's just stuff that really happens. In real life, like it's, it's so relatable, like this the step parent parenting, and like my opinion from the very minute he gets on screen, yeah, so and so died, and this happened, and this happened, this happened, like that stuff does really happen. Like it was just, I found the whole thing very relatable, very enjoyable, and really, I just thought it was really well thought out and and played out. Yeah, for a movie about a guy who shrinks himself to commune with ants and use them to commit crimes like this was a very grounded in reality movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah and there were I mean was it a perfect movie I know there was you know like any no. first movie in a series it's ever from originitis you know because you yeah. in the first half hour 40 minutes of the movie explain Ant-Man his powers how he gets them all that kind of fun stuff and that's and you'll find that in pretty much any superhero movie uh, with the exception, I think, of Guardians of the Galaxy. That just kind of opened up, and boom, you, they just kind of expected you to run along with it and figure it out as it went. I mean, can I really fault the movie for having to do that exposition and really explain where Ant-Man came from? No, because you, you kind of have to do it. And then Corey Stoll, who plays the bad guy, essentially, Darren Cross, who is the one who took over Pym Industries after ousting Hank Pym from the board... Uh, you, you'll actually probably know him from House of Cards. That's where I knew him from, at least. Yeah, he's great. And he's, he's good here. He's, just, he's a maniacal little bad guy. Uh, one note, but at least there's a reason why he's upset and why he's basically trying to one-up Hank Pym with this whole um, with, with everything that's going on there. So I mean, those two things do uh, somewhat detractors. 
not enough to where I didn't absolutely love the movie. Um, and there's some really cool cameos. I mean, you've got your your Stan Lee one like you always have. Uh, keeping your out because they, they threw in a Spider-Man reference. I don't know if you caught it, but they definitely mentioned about a hero who crawls on walls. Yep. And if you want the really, really kind of obscure cameo that I don't think many people caught, uh, if you get a chance, go and YouTube Grant Morris Ant-Man. No, Garrett, Garrett, Garrett Morris. Garrett Morris. I mean, not Garrett, Garrett Morris Ant-Man. Uh, he, that's all I'm going to say. It's a really funny old school uh, SNL skit. And he was pretty much the first portrayal ever of Ant-Man on the screen. And he has a literal one-second cameo. So we were quite happy when we came across that. That was really funny. And I was the only person in the theater who laughed at that. But that was that's a real one-percenter type joke. Yeah. And that was, that was great. Um, and, oh, like, we can't talk about this. But that after credits sequence, though. They're both amazing. So yeah, stay oh. through the whole credits. There yeah. are two. There are two scenes. Both of those amazing, and I just I can't wait for what they're going to do with Civil War. Uh, not only literally where it looks like uh, Scott Lang is going to be propelled into the events of the Civil War, but I think there's a really good opportunity for them to fracture that little family where, uh, you know, Hope and, and Hank and Scott could all end up on uh, different sides in, in one way or the other. So who knows what's going to happen. Um, and no! I, I think that's <laughs> possible. I mean, you've got... You know, we, no. start, we start off the movie with Hank Pym having a lot of bad blood with uh, Tony Stark's dad and, yeah. and with S.H.I.E.L.D. So there's obviously a lot of mistrust there, and I think uh, Scott Lang maybe has some uh, Avenger envy. Um, he wouldn't mind being a part of a, a, cool, a cool team. Why can't everybody get along? Oh, well, because that wouldn't be interesting. Yeah, well, that, that <laughs> would be the Marvel Civil War now, would it? And oh, gee, and yeah, it'd be like the Mar- it'd be the Marvel Tea and Crumpets party if it wasn't for that. The Marvel Family Reunion. There you go. Yeah, the, and the tease for <laughs> for what uh, Evangeline Lilly's character might be doing in the future too. For those who are familiar yeah. with comics, this this won't come as a huge surprise, but um, there's, but such a good setup. Yeah, yes. amazingly great setup. So what do we think? Uh, Brooke, what do you, on a scale of 10, what do you think this one is? 9.5 out of 10. <laughs> okay. I uh, really, I'm, really, really enjoyed it. I, a solid 9 out of 10. Yeah, and I'm actually the, I'm the exact same place you are. Uh, there were a couple problems with it, but it didn't, didn't keep it from being any less enjoyable than it was. Uh, origin story aside, it's a lot of fun. It's funny, and they they did it. I don't, I don't know if Marvel can make a bad movie now, so... Nine point one out of ten. They they can they can make a bad movie. I, I saw Thor: The Dark World. That was a that was a nice middle. That wasn't of horrible movie. though. That wasn't horrible. It wasn't horrible. Okay, it wasn't a bad movie, but on the on the for Marvel, um, it it wasn't as good. But no, that's true. Uh, I'm at I'm at eight out of ten. Um, I loved it. I didn't love it as much as I loved Guardians. I didn't love it as much as I loved uh, Captain America Two, which was my number one movie of last year. And uh, I didn't love it as much as I loved uh, Guardians, which was my number two movie of last year. So uh, it's it's right up there. Um, 
it's it's in the exact same realm as a lot of the other origin stories of of Marvel, of your Iron Man, of Captain America, the first mm-hmm. adventure. And it's it it has both the problems and awesomeness of that. Um, but definitely go see this. Go see it on the biggest screen possible because you got a, a tiny little hero, but an amazingly huge spectacle up on screen. Yeah, it's it's the, definitely the, the must-go-see movie of the week. Uh, looking at Rotten Tomatoes, it, it's looking to maybe have a small opening. I know when we were at the theater today, there were literally six people in the IMAX theater, so hopefully we just because it was a random part of the day, but... Um, I think they're they're expecting it to do well, not nearly as well as like your Guardians or an Avengers. But uh, this is this almost feels like a little movie that could, and more people need to go out there and support it because it's fun and it's one of the better movies this year. So that was a train reference, <laughs> the yeah. little movie that could. It, but remember, oh, Guardians oh. didn't have the super strongest opening either. It started picking up speed and kept going late, later and later. It. There was a huge word of mouth behind that, and I think that people will get that with this as well. Once people find out how funny it is and how entertaining it is, it'll it'll pick up. Yeah, well, I mean, Guardians had, it had a decent opening, um, but yeah, it's it was definitely the biggest of last year. So yeah, cool. Uh, Can so, I restate that oh. it being my favorite Marvel movie? I I may not like it more than. Guardians. I probably like Guardians more than this one, but I have to sit okay. and think about that for a minute. Well, I mean, this, <laughs> one's, got the, good for me. really this one's got the uh, the new movie smell still going on with it, so we're still enjoying it. Well, and that. I think part of it is that I can really enjoy it with my kid. Like, mm-hmm. she really enjoyed it too, so I know I can rewatch over and over and not have to wait for her to go to bed to watch it. So, yeah. that's good yeah. for me. My my Ant Man obsessed kids. I mean, they're they're going crazy for this movie. I mean, my my son literally for uh, for Halloween last year, instead of doing a jack o' lantern, we put tin foil all over a pumpkin and made an Ant Man. Uh, and and he was very specific that this was a Scott Lang Ant Man. Not <laughs> not that wife beating. Uh, <laughs> wife beating. Uh, so, uh, yeah, because uh, he's he's just as much of a little nerd as I am. We love Ant Man. So speaking of being a nerd, uh, we wanted to do our recommendation this week and kind of nerd out over Michael Douglas. Uh, he's you know everyone knows him, of course. His father was also a legacy as far as actors go. So we really wanted to take a couple of brief minutes and just maybe talk about our favorite Michael Douglas movie. Uh, of which I went back and was looking at all of them, and I had forgotten just how many amazing films he'd done. And he's done, and even the movies maybe that weren't that successful or weren't that great, he was always kind of the bright and shining star in there. So, uh, Brooke, what was your uh, Michael Douglas movie you wanted to recommend this week? So, yeah, I picked A Perfect Murder uh, for my favorite Michael Douglas movie, and I started watching this, like, the movie came out, what, 98? Yeah, 1998. And that was <laughs> right the same year as my first divorce. So I, th- I think this movie sort of hit home <laughs> for me. Um, and Gwyneth Paltrow is married to Michael Douglas. She's young. He's old. He's busy and dismissive. And she wants to be valued, wants to be seen by her husband and isn't. So she starts having this affair with this 
artist played by Viggo Mortensen, who's just sultry and attractive and everything fantastic. And, uh, of course, Michael Douglas finds out about it. He decides to have her murdered so that he can gain money off of her death. And, um, the whole thing goes wrong from there. So, um, this movie is an Alfred Hitchcock remake and it's just, it's done so well. Like Michael Douglas never saw his wife for who she was, never valued her. And so when he hires her lover to come and kill her, like none of them saw her for what she really was. And the whole thing very quickly goes downhill because she fights him off and they didn't realize who they were messing with, which is like, yay, go Gwyneth. Um, I don't care how weird she gets. I love Gwyneth Paltrow. I will always love Gwyneth Paltrow. And uh, I watched this movie a lot. A lot. And I think that they did it right. I think that um, they keep the intrigue and they make it very entertaining through the whole thing while also engaging. They don't cheapen the plot of it in any ways. And I just, I felt like it's fantastically done. It's a really good movie. It was a great remake and it was great use of Viggo Mortensen before we really knew who Viggo Mortensen was. So that was great. It was like, I, I actually, I didn't see that because I was out of the country when, when that movie came out. And um, it was only it was only after Lord of the Rings had come out, and we saw that movie on cable, and it's like, what's this movie with Gwyneth Paltrow and Viggo Mortensen and Michael Douglas that we've never seen before? Oh my gosh, this is you know this is this is Hitchcock. This is awesome. Like let let's watch this. So yeah, it was great. Oh, so yeah, the director uh, of Perfect Murder. Did it the right way. I mean, Hitchcock is one is probably one of the greatest directors of all times, and to take one of his films and try to redo it, uh, and maybe put a tw- your own tw- twist on it, your own vision, is admirable. But then you know you've got Gus Van Sant's Psycho remake, which was a literal shot by shot, with uh, adding in a creepy moment with Vince Vaughn that was unnecessary, um, that made it a, a worse movie. So someone asked him, "How do you successfully remake or redo Hitchcock?" Uh, I think Perfect Murder is a good example of how to take something, make it your own, but also pay homage to what came before. Or uh, Throw Mama from the Train, which was a remake of Strangers on a Train. Exactly, yeah, but much comedy. Comedy (laughs) version, yeah. Cool, sounds good. Andy, what about you? So many great Michael Douglas movies. I I had a really hard time choosing. I kind of wanted to go with... uh, at first, I was like, Traffic, that's a great movie. And then I'm like, is. But I love that movie not because of Michael Douglas. He's like the weakest part of that movie. Ghost in the Darkness, um, underrated. People kind of forget about that. Him and Val Kilmer out hunting lions on the savannah. That's great. Uh, and Wonder Boys. Oh, just a great performance by him and everyone else in that oh, not, not Wonder Guys? Not Wonder Guys. Oh, okay. As okay. another... Another uh, movie podcast like to refer to this movie. You guys, you have to go see Wonder Guys with Michael Douglas. He's the best in Wonder Guys. Wonder <laughs> Guys is the best Michael Douglas movie ever. It's Wonder Guys. No, just yeah, not Wonder Guys. Um, but, uh, 
I had to go with the American president. Um, Which, of course, anyone who knows you would automatically... That was your first guess, so... <laughs> exactly. This this is my movie to a T. If, if I were making the top ten most Andy movies of all time, the American president would be in there. One, you've got Aaron Sorkin. Two, uh, amazing performance by both uh, Martin Sheen, Michael Douglas, and Michael J. Fox. And uh, three, the the president's name is Andy. So, yeah, there you go. And, uh, you know, Aaron Sorkin writes and Michael Douglas delivers that amazing soliloquy at the end of the movie where he's talking about America and America how America easy. is advanced citizenship. And you've got to want America it is and advanced citizenship. You've got to want it bad because it's going to put up a fight. It's going to say, you want free speech? Let's see you acknowledge a man whose words make your blood boil, who's standing center stage and advocating at the top of his lungs that which you would spend a lifetime opposing at the top of yours. You want to claim this land is a land of the free? Then the symbol of your country cannot just be a flag. The symbol also has to be one of its citizens exercising his right to burn that flag in protest. Now show me that. Defend that. Celebrate that in your classrooms. Then you can stand up and sing about the land of the free. I've known Bob Rumson for years, and I've been operating under the assumption that the reason Bob devotes so much time and energy to shouting at the rain was that he simply didn't get it. Well, I was wrong. Bob's problem isn't that he doesn't get it. Bob's problem is that he can't sell it. We have serious problems to solve, and we need serious people to solve them. And whatever your particular problem is, I promise you, Bob Rumson is not the least bit interested in solving it. He is interested in two things, and two things only, making you afraid of it and telling you who's to blame for it. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how you win elections. You gather a group of middle-aged, middle-class, middle-income voters who remember with longing an easier time, and you talk to them about family and American values and character. And you wave an old photo of the president's girlfriend and you scream about patriotism. You tell them she's to blame for their lot in life. And you go on television and you call her a whore. Sidney Ellen Wade has done nothing to you, Bob. She has done nothing but put herself through school, represent the interests of public school teachers, and lobby for the safety of our natural resources. You want a character to debate, Bob? You better stick with me. Because Sidney Ellen Wade is way out of your league. We've got serious problems, and we need serious people. And if you want to talk about character, Bob, you better come at me with more than a burning flag and a membership card. If you want to talk about character and American values, fine. Just tell me where and when, and I'll show up. This is a time for serious people, Bob, and your 15 minutes are up. My name is Andrew Shepard, and I am the president. And Oh, it's so... Good. I just and he is so good in it. And there's the um, there's not only that element that that political element, uh, which for for those who don't know, then this movie ended up spinning off into the West Wing, uh, bringing Martin Sheen along as as president, where instead of Michael Douglas. But uh, this. Uh, the the other part of this was this great love story between the president and an environmental lobbyist uh, played by Annette Bening. 
Um, it's a really cute love story, and uh, and you've got an evil, moralizing Republican trying to judge them for their relationship, which is also hilarious. And I I just I love this movie so much, and I, I love Michael Douglas in it. Yeah, so my pick actually goes back uh, a couple of, uh, actually a little bit after the American President, if I have my timeline correct. Uh, I went with The Game. Uh, came out in 1997. It was one of the earlier movies that David Fincher directed. So for me, the the pairing of Fincher with Douglas was was just too irresistible. Uh, David Fincher is one of my favorite directors, and in this movie, you know, Michael Douglas playing this kind of man boner. Uh, rich character who just is kind of aloof and doesn't care about life anymore, and his brother, who's a druggie, played by Sean Penn, comes and gives him a birthday present, uh, which basically takes him on this huge psychological uh, mind twist of a journey through all these crazy things. It's suspenseful. It's you're trying to figure out what the hell is actually going on, um, and it's it's about the extremes that a person will go to to find their redemption, even if they don't even know that's what they're doing. So for me, that hit. I mean, Douglas is incredible. He plays this character who's slowly losing his mind, you know, while trying to figure out what's happening beautifully. Um, I won't give the ending away because I'm sure everyone knows it, but it's one of those movies that, kind of like The Usual Suspects, the ending's almost what makes it. So uh, it's just something you get to basically experience. But uh, great movie. He's great in it. Uh, if you love Fincher, if you love suspense and drama, it's a perfect movie for that. And uh, it just came out on Criterion, which we talked about a while ago, so if you haven't picked it up there, uh, Barnes & Noble actually is doing a 50% off Criterion sale, so nice. you can get it there for like 20 bucks. Uh, so, or Costco had it recently too. So that's the movie that I you know, I go back and see at least once a year. Uh, it's fantastic. That's the movie that made me stop hating Sean Penn. I still hate Sean Penn, but that's a different story. All right, well, I think that's going to do it this week for Bored as Hell. Uh, Brooke, again, thank you very much for being on here. Uh, do you want us to remind us again where we can find you? Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been awesome. It's great. Um, you can find me and my co-host at twofeministmoms.com. Uh, you can find us at Two Feminist Moms on Facebook and Two Feminist Moms on Twitter. And the word two is spelled out, not the number. So TWO Feminist Moms, awesome. Um, yeah, and then of course you can find us at boardishellcast.com, facebook.com slash boardishell, and uh, at boardishellcast on Twitter. So that's it for this week. Next week it's pretty busy actually. We've got Pixels, which is I was excited until I found out Adam Sandler's involved, uh, but it's the video game space invasion type movie where literal video game sprites come and attack the world. Uh, hopefully it'll be fun. Uh, Paper Towns, which is a coming-of-age mur- like, coming mystery kind of set in America. And then Southpaw, which is the boxing movie with Jake Gyllenhaal, which looks... I'm pretty excited to see that. one looks pretty fun. Uh, so we'll be coming back at you next week with those. Uh, Andy, go ahead and take us out. My name is Andy Wilson, and I am the president. <laughs> Hail Satan, and have a lovely afternoon. Trippin' but it's alright Homie scored a key, he's gonna fly Punk ass fly